0: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, today we get to turn our attention to something other than Formula One, which can tend to dominate the headlines sometimes. But our readers and listeners often tell us they love autosport because we do cover everything from two wheels, rally, GT, national, touring cars, etc. So today we are using the build up to the 2022 season to look back at who excelled last year and therefore who we should be watching this year, we've got two top 10s to give you the BTCC and the Toker Support package. Well, settle in. This is a long one with both top 10 lists argued out for both the British touring cars and Toker Support series. Now, we didn't rush this one out around the Christmas period because, well, honestly, so much of our time was spent with the very late running of the F1 calendar, the crazy way that ended, and getting the magazine out and things like that. Plus, we knew we had a healthy gap before the series started again. It's still around a month probably before we'll even see some F4 or genetta testing, a couple of months away from the opening round at Donington Park for the touring cars. So let's get on with the podcast
2: today. Kicking off is Autosport's Chief Editor, Kevin Turner. So we've had some exciting domestic championship fights uh, in 2021, and we've recently published some All sport Top 10s, which we enjoy doing. And joining me today to discuss the top 10 drivers from the British Touring Car Championship and the top 10 drivers from the Toker Support Series uh, are two special guests that have followed them all year. The first one is uh, British Touring Car Correspondent Marcus
1: Simmons. Hi Marcus, how are you doing? I'm going to take issue with you actually. I do quite enjoy doing top tens, but this one I didn't at all because it was so difficult to work out. <laughs> Excellent.
2: Well, that can be part of the discussion that we'll come to, and we'll we'll slice the list apart if we uh, if we see fit. Although I must admit, looking at it at the moment, I, I'm struggling to take a huge issue with much of it. Um, and joining me with, I'd say perhaps an even harder list, given that he's having to compare across different championships as well as the drivers within it. Uh, is Stephen Licorice. How are you doing, Stephen?
3: Hello, I'm good, thank you. Yes, if uh, Marcus found it difficult (laughs) enough with, with one championship, I had five very different championships to to sort of compare and, and contrast and try and come up with a top 10 which was also not not an easy task either.
2: Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. How can you possibly struggle to compare someone in British Formula 4 with the Portuguese Cup and Ginetta Junior? Sounds very very easy. Let's press on. We'll do British touring cars first and we'll do it in reverse order because well that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it, this, isn't it? It's top of the pop style countdown. Um, so number 10 in Marcus's BCC list is Dan Lloyd. 11th in the championship with PowerMax racing Vauxhall but didn't take any wins so Marcus talk us through his season and why you've slotted him into the 10 in your list even though he wasn't in the top 10 in the championship
1: People who are regular readers of Autosport and Autosport.com will know that I covered the um, F3 European Championship for many years and and actually I I used to quite like doing a provisional top 10 after about 3 or 4 race weekends and then hide it away somewhere, and then pull it out at the end of the year. And and actually, I'd pretty much nailed it at that point. Um, and uh, very, very little difference used to be made from that early point of the season to the end of the season. Um, BTCC is just so much harder because you've got vastly different car concepts. You've got rear-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, um, summer Better aerodynamically than the others. Um, you've, got, you've also got the success ballast, you've got the reverse grids, you've got the option tyres. So comparing performances over the course of a season is really, really hard. And, and before I mention Dan, or before I talk a little bit about Dan Lloyd, I'd just like to mention two drivers who I felt particularly guilty of leaving out of the top 10. Uh, One of whom finished firmly in it, that was Aidan Moffat. He obviously made vast improvements this year in the Laser Tools Racing Infinity. At the end of the season, you just think he did really, really well. But at the end of the day, that was a championship winning car in somebody else's hands, i.e. Ash Sutton's. And Adam Morgan, first year in a rear wheel drive BTCC car in the Sicily Motorsport BMW. Um, Forget about the reverse grid wins because they were a little bit fluky because of just the nature of the reverse grid draw but he did put in some genuinely quick performances early and mid-season and at times he was kind of a match for Colin Turkington in the West Surrey BMW as far as pace was concerned um, with that lack of rear wheel drive experience and um, so um, but then he had a disastrous end to the season so he sort of faded away a little bit, but, um, but talking about end of the season, so Adam had a disastrous one, Dan Lloyd had a really good one, and um, what impressed me was that, um, first of all, he's, he's never had a full season in the BTCC, even though he made his debut in it 11 years ago or something, um, and, and the past couple of years he went off to do TCR Europe, and I know TCR Europe barely registers a blip, in the UK but it is fiercely competitive and um, he was racing a Honda in that series and doing really well championship contender last year he got the opportunity to come back with to the BCCC with power maxed racing this year in the Vauxhall Astra alongside Jason Plato and I actually I remember going into the power maxed garage at the pre-season media day at Silverstone remarking to a couple of the power maxed people that um, that that you could well you could make a strong case for saying this team has got the strongest second driver. Whoever that second driver may be, I wasn't actually ruling out that Dan Lloyd may be quicker than Jason Plato because of um, how strong he'd been in TCR Europe. And I'm quite glad to, to see that I was sort of proven right a bit. And um, I mean, Dan, he didn't get much in the way of results early on in the season because he was really readjusting to the NGTC cars and although to the outside an an NGTC car doesn't look that dissimilar to a TCR car they they do demand very different driving styles and and um, you know Dan was saying that a TCR car you just stamp on the brake pedal and it just stops for you whereas you can't do that with the NGTC and and um, so he took a time to adjust to it but by the end of the season he was really on it he was he was four four podiums over the last three race weekends um battling away with the leading contenders really really fair in his race craft as well I wonder if if he's in the mix for a championship fight he might be a bit less fair I don't know yeah just um impressed a lot of people and and um I thought that was one of the nice stories of the BTCC this year the way he came on and Proved himself a force, and he reckons he's got the commercial package together to stay in the BTCC for next year. And if I was a team boss, I'd be very keen to talk talk to him um, about about 2022.
2: Yeah, an impressive return series. And I think it's also worth saying that, as well as the driving style, certainly I remember when I covered British Touring Cars with the NGCCs. They take it, they're slightly quirky in terms of setup as well. I know some experienced touring car hands came back while I was covering it. And everything they tried to make the cars go quick had the reverse effect. I think they're quite they're quite novelty items when it comes to setting them up and driving them. So, yes, yeah, very you're impressive. talking about
1: Alain Menu and Fabrizio in yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so two two <laughs> people with pretty good records. You have to say, and they both they both really struggled. Okay, you might say they were both past their best as well, but nevertheless, they did struggle quite a bit in those cars. So, we'll move on to to number nine, uh, which is the first of four Honda drivers. Uh, in your in your list, and that's uh, Senna Proctor. So he sort of flew a little bit under the radar as well, didn't he? I think I kind of almost see him as the Honda version of Dan. But that's probably a bit unfair. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, it's so under the radar at the start of the season that he wasn't even on the grid. <laughs> yes of course. Yeah, <laughs> missed the first round. Despite being as young as he is, and he's still only what twenty-two or something, he's he's been around BCCC for half a decade now. And yeah, as I alluded to before, I I only come back to. Covering BTCC at the beginning of last season, so I didn't really know a terrible amount, uh, a terribly great amount about him. He was upper midfield in the accelerate Hyundai, got a reverse grid podium in in one of the races, but nothing to, nothing to uh, get properly excited about. And um, he did his first couple of weekends at Snetterton and Brands Indy in the in the BTC racing Honda this year in again i mean he was he was there but um nothing uh, nothing to suggest he was going to take the series by storm or anything like that but um next third time out at alton park he put it on pole and and he'd never been in the top 4 on a, in a BTCC qualifying session before so oh, well, that's quite that's quite impressive from then on he was just up there all the time albeit um yeah because of his late start to the season and and then getting to grips with it the first couple of weekends. He was never really carrying much in the way of success ballast, so that helps him a bit. I mean, he really takes a car by the scruff of the neck. <clears throat> you, you watch him drive, and uh, you know that if you've got um, some kerbs in view, you know that his car is going to be um, over them in quite a hefty way. Um, and um, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of uh, the family rallycross background or something. I don't know. But um, he, he's just... Very very fast, and um, yeah he did make a couple of mistakes and and um the the one that comes to mind is when he was he'd finished second to his teammate Josh Cook at the in the first race of the Brands Hatch grand Prix circuit finale and then had a very good chance of a strong result in the second race and um, locked up at Druid's and went off <laughs> um but you know he he seems to have a seems to have a very good um, Attitude to it. He knows that he doesn't get things exactly right. Um, you know, the thing that he often talks about is his tire warm-up phase in qualifying. And um, yeah, you know, he says, "Well, I got it right, got it right on the second run. I got it really badly wrong on the first run." And uh, so that's it's good that he's someone who does admit to getting things wrong, um, puts them right. And you know, of course, the other thing is that those little things are what you would dial out if he had a winter testing programme in a car, which, which he didn't have with the Honda before this season. He didn't actually get behind the wheel of it until June. Um, then uh, Dan Camish drove that, who we'll come on to in Stephen's Top Ten, but Dan Camish drove that in the first oh, round. Ra- spoiler! <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly. <laughs> um, so he drove it in the first round at Thruxton. It was a Im- very impressive second two-thirds of the season for somebody who'd never been regarded as one of the cr- properly quick men in the BTCC before and, and uh, you would say that any team would be keen on talking to him for next year but if he stays at BTCC and in that Honda for another year he's going to have a proper crack at it.
2: Yeah, well, He finished 10th in the Championship and scored one win and he was just behind another Honda driver who also scored one win and I think this is one of the best stories of the season. Uh, uh, eighth in your list is Dan Rowbottom who I will concede... I was a doubter as well. You did say before season you thought he was going to be pretty good, and you looked at his karting record and all the rest of it. And Matt Neal went out on a limb to get him in the car, and you have to say um,
1: he was—he and you were proved absolutely correct on this one, Marcus. I'll take that when I can because I get it wrong um, often enough. What really impressed me, so I, yeah, if you hark back to the conversations we had, and I did mention his karting record, and he beat—he um, he would at the age of 10 or something like that, he beat James Collado to the British Cadet Karting Championship, and you think, well, you're not gonna be a slouch if you can uh, beat him to a karting title. Um, And then when he moved into car racing, the the family wealth wasn't really strong enough to, to get him established, so he just had to go away from the sport for quite a few years. But what I didn't expect, was for him to um, to outshine Gordon Shedden in the uh, sister car on quite a few occasions, uh, which is really really impressive. Um, and the first the first time he did that, arguably, was when he got pole on the Brands indie Circuit for the for the third round of the season. Um, th- there was a slight discrepancy on success ballast between the two of them, but it was next to make next to makes no difference. First and so far only winner, Alton Park, was really, really impressive as well. It did, he, he did get a little bit of a gift because um, he was running second behind Sheddon when the race was red flagged. <clears throat> and there was a restart, and he made the most of the restart, got ahead of Sheddon, but then had to sit there with Sheddon breathing down his neck for the rest of the race. And you think, right, this, this is the moment when you're going to crack up. <laughs> and make a mistake and let him by but he didn't he um, he properly brought it home and, and that was a really really good win uh, and then you know what a fan of Thruxton I am uh, I think it's just a brilliant circuit and uh, he took his second pole around Thruxton and I thought yeah okay res- respect respect to you for that I wonder if that Alton Park win perhaps increased the self-imposed pressure on him over the second half of the season Um, because results were a little up and down from that point on but by the end of the season he was going really well and he's got the security of a two-year deal with Dynamics so he's staying there for next year, Um, he's happy there Tim really love him and um, I think he's just going to crack on and and do well again next season
2: Yeah and fair play to to Matt Neal for for putting him in the car as well I think that's... uh... Yeah, good, good shout from, from Matt.
1: I don't want to knock Matt as a driver because uh, he's had a great career in the BTCC and he's a top bloke and uh, I really get on with him. But Dan did better this year than Matt did last year. <laughs> so um, so that, that proves, that's, an, that's another thing to prove that Matt right, made the right decision in um, you know, going against perceived wisdom and putting Dan in that car for this year.
2: Absolutely. So we go from one Honda driver that perhaps achieved above expectation to one that arguably was below. Although I think it's probably a bit more complicated than that. So sixth in the championship with two wins, but seventh on your list is Gordon Shedden. Um, he he had some misfortune, didn't he? And I don't think he was particularly happy. Obviously he was coming back to the championship, so you give him a bit of time. On the other hand, he's a three-time champion. He's got to be one of the best British talk tour, British touring car drivers. You know, of his generation so he sort of ended up in a good place but how would you characterise his uh, his season?
1: It was a little bit disappointing but I think that um, that probably, probably means we were all a little bit naive um, in expecting him to come back and be winning races right from the start. Shedden went off to race in TCR cars in the World Touring Car Cup did that in 2018 and 2019 in, in Audis. So there will have been an element of readjusting to NGTC. Uh, The, obviously the Civic that is being used these days is the FK8, whereas his um, previous experience in British touring cars was in the FK2 and the various other Hondas before that. So, but he's never, he'd never raced the FK8. Um, What I think was a real shame is that the the pole position he got for round two at Snetterton was taken away from him because there was a little bit of a mistake on the rear wing angle made by the team and it failed the car failed the scrutineering and he was he was dumped to the back of the grid um, wasn't wasn't really performance enhancing said the team so I have to trust them on that and um what would have been really, really good. Would have been for him to have that pole position and possibly bag a win early doors in the BTCC, and then that would have potentially led to an increase in morale, uh, an improvement in morale, and increase in confidence, and and kick on from there really. But uh, but it was just it just ended up another incident in a load of incidents and misfortunes and whatever that struck him. Um, there was perhaps a little bit of overthinking as well um, going on, and and it just, yeah, you, you wondered at one point when he was ever going to break through and win a race, and finally, end of the season, they came good, and he had, he. Uh, he I mean, going back to the what we were talking about, uh, talking about Dan Raybots, I mean he should have had a win at Alton Park because he was leading that race when it was red flagged but finally he did it at Donington and and that was from a position of superiority, uh, won the race hands down and um, also won a second race in slightly controversial circumstances because it was was given to him when Tom Ingram was given a penalty. That was really a springboard for him because um, look at the final round at Brands Grand Prix circuit as well and he wasn't he didn't win any races there but he had a couple of a couple of very hard fought podiums uh one of which was with a real problem with the car that he nursed to the finish um and that was that was the end of the season that he needed really and and i'd love to see him back for for another year next year he's he's a he's a good guy um he's proper star of the b c c c and and um now that he's got that year of experience back in the championship and back with dynamics and readjusted to the NGTC world then then hopefully he can he can be a proper contender next year yeah
2: you have definitely one of the stars on the grid and he's you know he's a quality driver and i think he's i think he's got 50 BTCC wins now as well which puts him right up in the top top 5 Uh, most successful uh, BTCC drivers, Um, so we could see how many more we can add to that.
1: That 50th win came about an hour after the end of the race at Donington Um, race 2.
2: But we haven't got to Colin yet, we'll we'll, um, finish off the first half of your your top 10 number 6. I I was a little bit disappointed with Rory Butcher's season given that the Speedworks Toyota was dynamite fast uh, at time. well it was a championship contender with Tom Ingram last year, obviously that, that that combination ceased to be and Rory stepped into that car and had some fantastic performances in it most notably obviously at Silverstone when he just he was quick even with weight on but it was an odd, odd season he was seventh in the championship but took three wins so why have you slotted him into sixth in your in your
1: list so Rory came from strong seasons that he had before this year one was with the old FK2 Honda Civic with AMD and then he had the year with uh, Motorspace and the Ford Focus. Both nice user-friendly cars. Um, he moved to Speedworks with the Toyota Corolla, which had been developed around Tom Ingram. He has a very, very edgy style. One-tonne roller skate, basically. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, just... The um, thing I really like about Rory is that he, he's one of the more modest self-critical is not the right phrase, but just realistic, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Drivers on the grid, and and he he did uh, confess that the the Ingram-based setup he just couldn't get to grips with. Um, and they and they had a bit of a brainstorming session on the Saturday evening of the Brands Hatch round, um, third third round of the week, uh, season on the Indy circuit, and it transformed the car for Sunday's races, although. Not many people noticed because he was buried in the pack. And then really that's where his season began, as he won next time out at Alton Park with a brilliant first lap that took him from fourth to first. Um, And uh, I just really... when, When Rory's confident in the car, I just really enjoy watching him drive. Everything's so smooth. And what really made the difference to his championship position, and he could have ended up finishing very close to the top five is the um, the engine failure at the beginning of qualifying at Croft where that car looked that Toyota looked absolutely superb through free practice and I couldn't I couldn't believe I was watching the second free practice session at um, Hawthorne the second corner so watching them through Clairvaux and Hawthorne it's really important to get the power down early because you've got the long run through the chicane down to tower I couldn't believe how early he was getting the power on in that Toyota. And and, uh, that was was a pole position and a guaranteed race win gone because, or perhaps even two race wins gone uh, because of that engine failure in qualifying and instead he had to fight through from the back of the grid. Um, And then following weekend at Silverstone was everything Croft should have been. um, And uh, he absolutely... Absolutely dominated that. He was strong at Donington as well. Um, the, unfortunately, the season ended on a little bit of a low at Brands GP circuit um, because they just couldn't get the setup right on the new tyres in qualifying. Um, and again, he had to s- sort of fight through from from down the field. But uh, but yeah, I just I just I just rate Rory as a driver. I think the the improvement they made once they. Realised they weren't getting anywhere early in the season was really impressive, and and um, and yeah, I think he, I think he deserved to finish top six in the championship and very close to the top five.
2: Well, before we go into the top five, both in the championship and in your table, I'm conscious that um, not asked Stephen any questions. So before we do that, Stephen, do you take issue? With uh, anything that Marcus has said so far, any drivers that we haven 't talked, I think the top five are an obvious top five. The order is not not perhaps so obvious, and um, but anyone else that you think that um, we should have we should have talked about before going on to the top guys
3: No, there 's no one else that I, I, that sort of springs out to me as an obvious person that 's not been included, but I think it is interesting to see where Marcus has put uh, put Shedden in the rankings uh, just because on the on the surface. He perhaps wasn't as impressive as as you would have expected, but as Marcus has explained, there was a lot more sort of going on behind that. It wasn't easy for him to return to the championship uh, after a few years away. So I think that was really interesting to see where Marcus had put him in the in the in the top ten. It wouldn't perhaps have been where I would have immediately thought of myself, but I think actually the way that. That he's he's argued it is is spot on really and i, I can't fault that so he, he, you've convinced me that that is the right the right placing
2: excellent excellent well let's get into the the top five then and, and in fifth is a bit of an all-sport favorite um he drives all sorts of brilliant historic cars outside of british touring cars and was the star of course of our um all-sport karting team uh earlier in the year that, that marcus is also a part of and that i was I was the um the, the the team manager whatever that means in karting. Uh it's Jake Hill. Uh fifth in the championship, two wins. Uh doggled a little bit with the maximum weight, didn't it? Because at one stage he was sort of in the championship hunt, but didn't quite I think fifth maps is a little bit harsher in terms of the championship position because he could have finished higher, but what do you, what do you reckon uh, Marcus?
1: Yeah, I feel really bad about this one actually because um because there were five really excellent performers this year um and i i would say that probably most other seasons in the btcc the level of performance of each of those five it's a really it's a really tough call to put one of those five in fifth place at the end of the day the points table there for a reason
2: he did win the he did win two races whereas everyone above him on your on your list did win at least three as well so you've got that i think win stats can be a bit difficult in british touring cars because of the success pass and reverse grid and all that nonsense but it, it's another guide isn't it
1: that, that's right there, there were no with none of them with none of those in the top five there there were there any strong enough hunches that someone had outperformed their position to justify swapping them around, if you like. So, yeah. um, the weight that you mentioned, actually, Kevin, the, uh, the forward focus dealt with its normal weight of 48, 39 kilos for fourth, fifth in the championship, which Jake was for much of the year. Dealt with that weight really, really well. And if you looked at the qualifying stats, um, he was doing for for most of the season he was doing easily better uh compared to cars that were lighter on ballast around him um but it just fell apart a bit towards the end of the season so he had he had that brilliant weekend at Croft where he finished second behind Aidan Moffat in the first race and then um and then won the second race and overtook Aidan on the opening lap and and won that second race quite comfortably and that had the effect of lifting him up to second place in the championship and onto 66 kilos for Silverstone National Circuit which isn't terribly helpful and um, he qualified outside the top 20 the car looked a car looked a complete nightmare to drive in, in in that first race on that weight but then what was really impressive was that he did a uh, what we 've seen before from the likes of tom ingram and Ash Sutton and people like that that he just charged through over the rest of the day and ended up winning the reverse grid race that 's something uh that that was something that really impressed me as well um so i th- i think he's had um i think he's had a really good season he's he's first time first time in top level machinery if you like and no no disrespect to what a m d did but that FK two Civic was was getting pretty old by the time um, they finished with it at the end of last season and um, also if you remember the engine kept failing which didn't didn't help him very much but um, but the um, yeah this this season with the Ford Focus he's just been really really impressive on it on it most of the way there's a couple of races where you'd say yeah he was a bit unlucky there there was a Puncture early on on the brand's indie circuit, I think otherwise things could have been different um, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah really really strong really strong season and um, finished very close to well, I mean, second third fourth and fifth all very close in the points at the end of the end of the year.
2: yeah it's nice to really see uh, Jake establish himself on the British Touring Car Grid now, which I think he definitely has done because obviously he's been in quite a battle for what feels like years and years and years, him and his dad, to get him established. And he's had sort of one-off drives here and there and jumped around. And it feels like he's he's sort of established now as one of the, you know, we, we know him as the, one of the leading BTCC racers, which is really good.
1: Um, non- um, the n- other the other good thing with Jake um, that we ought to mention is that he's just been signed up by Mark Blundell um, onto his management um, as part of his management stable, so that can only help him. Uh, it's always been it's always been a struggle to to get on the grid for the Hill family, and um, yeah, to have someone like Mark behind him is is going to really help. Um, as far as that's concerned.
2: See, all I'm hearing now is that we should get him in um, Mark's 1990 Le Mans pole sitting thousand brake horsepower Nissan Group C car in a Silverstone classic race or something. That's that's what I'm hearing from that. But uh, um, yeah, more, I'm important, sure Jake,
1: more important. I'm sure Jake will have asked that question yeah. already. <laughs> <He> probably <laughs> will have done. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> so num- number four on your this fourteen championship, three wins uh, is I, the guy I think is the standout performer of the front front wheel drive drivers over the last few years in British touring cars. Um, Tom Ingram uh, obviously switched from Speedworks to the Accelerate uh, Hyundai uh, squad and immediately. Took his engineer with him, I think, and immediately they raised yeah they raised that that level of that team and and were fighting at the front. Um, yeah, I mean, what did you make of make of his? I I love watching Tom on the on track. I think he's said before he's one of the entertaining guys. Really good, really good bloke as well. So always like to see him doing well.
1: How quick is that Hyundai? Difficult to tell because um, most of the time he was lumbered with sixty-six kilos of ballast, and uh, the, the perception was that the Hyundai didn't carry the sixty-six kilos very well. But when we saw Jake Hill get sixty-six <laughs> at Silverstone, <it> was, well, <laughs> neither does the Ford. <laughs> so, um, so they did. Um, they did a really, really good job, bearing in mind that handicap and and what what really what really got under tom's skin was that however bad a weekend he might have had and i'm thinking alton park for example where nothing went right but what i really love about his racing and that and this is uh, a kind of knock-on effect of carrying the weight is that um his race wins came from further down the grid having had a difficult race one on the weight on the weekend then his Wins would come from race twos or race threes where he had to do quite a bit of overtaking, and his racecraft was just brilliant this year, wasn't it? Um, the, um, some of the some of the moves he pulled off were uh, um, absolutely superb, and the, he completely took Tom Oliphant by surprise on Brands Indy Circuit um, back in June. Uh, a total dive down the inside of paddock bend into about what was half a half a Hyundai's width of space. Um, then he had a brilliant win at Knock Hill where he just did the most sensationally late dive on Stephen Jelly into the hairpin. Um, the the win that wasn't at Donington, that was from outside the top 10 on the grid, just charging through and uh, getting shedding with a few laps to go. So, yeah, he's just somebody you love to watch racing and uh, cr- massive credit for how they turn that team around um, but yeah such such was the uh, such were the btCC sporting regulations this year with the ballast and reverse grids etc that fourth was as, as good as he could do and and uh, he deserved more he deserved to, he deserved more than finishing fourth but then you wouldn't say that any of the three who finished ahead of him didn't
2: deserve to be in the top three. <laughs> yeah, he's um for me he's he's just beginning to knock on the door of a of a title that he he wouldn't want, which is, well, certainly in recent times, the best driver in British touring Island not to have a title to his name. He's probably gotta get he's got nineteen wins at the moment. He needs to score a few more before he's challenging the likes of Steve Saper and Gordon Spice for that uh, for that title. So I, I do hope he gets a championship at some point over the next few years. Um, shall,
1: shall we start calling him the Sterling Moss of the BTCC? Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a whole separate podcast there. So, like Jamie Green was the Sterling Moss of the DTM, yeah. Um, so into, the, into the top three now, um, and uh, I think your third choice Perhaps has, has he got to shake the uh, Thruxton specialist tag? I know that we love Thruxton, but um, you have got to win at other places to be a championship contender. But he has won at other places. Um, Josh Cook in the BTC Honda ended up with five wins and third in the championship. So, I mean, he's got to be a championship contender over the next few
1: years as well, hasn't he? He he has. Um, could have been one this year, actually. Um, the yeah, he's not just a Thruxton specialist because if you look at what he did. On the final weekend at the Brands Grand Prix Circuit, he he won two races. Uh, I think he was I think he was fifth in the reverse grid race, and he scored more points that weekend than anybody else scored at any round anywhere this year. So, brilliant season for him. Um, again, a little bit under the radar because he spent most of it seemed to spend most of it fifth in the championship, um, and then kind of. The perception was that he came on strong at the end of the year, but that's not really true. Um, well, for one thing, the two Thruxton rounds were earlier, but um, the um, third year in the third year at BTC with the FK8 Civic, um, slightly different this year because their two-year deal with dynamics had had lapsed, and they kind of went their own way, and they put the Toker Swindon engine in instead of the Neil Brown Honda. Which certainly didn't do them any harm because everyone knows how everyone knows that Taker engine is very good um it's it's not uh it's not lacking anything um and Josh Cook is just a wonderful driver to watch i i really I really enjoy watching him and he's also a very clean fair racer um and he can also make moves and the, the package is all there for him to win the championship but um when he did win at Thruxton in August um I remember talking to him there and he mentioned a couple of issues they'd had <coughs> which had sort of set them back during the year and then you just you just have a look and think, oh yeah blimey if if not for that then how many points would you have um, there was a he he won the first two races at the opening round at Thruxton and then it rained before race three, and if you remember, Josh took the start on slicks, but unfortunately, the car was up on its jacks too late before the start, so he got a drive-through penalty. But he set a lap time on those slicks that was two seconds quicker than Jake Hill's lap time, and Jake came within five seconds of winning the race. So, so you think, well, that was a <clears throat> that was a bag full of points that went there. Um, there was um, there was a Race at Knock Hill, where it was a fuel pump failed early on when he was looking good for reverse a good reverse grid result um, there was also that his exclusion at Silverstone <clears throat> after the second race that weekend where he had that dramatic last lap fight with Rory Butcher and finished second behind rory um, and then the car failed the ride height test, and Josh was convinced that it was because He'd run over the grass and curbs on the left-hand side going into Brooklands trying to pass Rory. Um, it later transpired that they, it, it wasn't actually that side of the car. It was a right front wishbone that, that had broken. And you just think, well, you know, there's another, you, you, there aren't really many places on the Silverstone National Circuit where you would think you could break a right front wishbone it's not Silverstone National isn't renowned for its big curbs is it
2: and someone who's been uh, I think an exponent of that approach for many years is second on the list Uh, and I couldn't decide whether he whether he was second on my list or or third behind Josh that's Colin Turkington Um, sort of a less spectacular season from him than we've sometimes seen made a couple of errors but on the other hand I think it's probably fair to say that the three series being run by WSR that doesn't have a toker engine is probably rather more hamstrung by the regulations than some of the other cars it's up against. So I think Collins perhaps sometimes fighting with one arm tied behind his back. So yeah, you you decide to put him second in the list in the end, Marcus. Why was that?
1: Um, because I didn't really see any reason why he was any worse than last year or the year before or <laughs> or whatever. I just think that the the struggles that they had were more a legacy of the tightening up of the pack as far as competitiveness is concerned so um so what we every everyone knows that the little tweaks that have been made over the to boost etc over the years have usually been to try and Dampen down the advantage of rear wheel drive cars or, or whatever. Um, and it's, it is difficult for those BMWs to get alongside on a straight and make an overtaking maneuver. Um, when you see Colin at the front of the grid, he'll just drive away into the distance and do his usual Colin thing. Uh, complete class act, very, very smooth. Um, uh, but when that car is buried in the pack, it's very, very difficult to to fight through. And, and um, it, the yeah the the perception is is that he was driving the car to its absolute limit this year, and that's possibly why there were a couple of little mistakes. I mean, I, I would say small errors with high consequences so uh, there was the one at, at Knockhill hill where he just had a little slip wide at the chicane on the final lap and ash sutton was straight through um, to to win on the last lap and there was the one at donnington where he was chasing rory butcher through the old hairpin absolutely on the limit just hit the curb perhaps a tiny bit more than he had The previous lap and round the car went the ironic thing was was that after you you don't want to end up on the outside of the old hairpin with a car that's not moving it's it's not it's not a comfortable situation but he got it going again and finished 11th and and then hey presto out of the out of the bag comes number 11 for the reverse grid. So, so that was a that was a very well timed spin by Colin there, which basically uh, basically gave him a reverse grid win. Um, so he was a little bit jammy with with things like that, but I'd say that he is still a driver performing at uh, at, at his peak, um, and therefore deserves to be deserves to be number two in the list. Um, as he was in the Championship table.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and as we said before, he's now matched the Andy Rouse uh, 60 wins as well as the four titles. So uh, right up there in the pantheon of touring car drivers. But I think joining him will be the number one on your list. Um, I don't think it takes a huge genius to work out who's number one. It's not Andy Neat. Um, it's uh, it's the champion uh, with five wins, uh, Ash Sutton. I mean, I think the thing that strikes me about his season is he's always been quick. He's always been good at overtaking, great to watch. But this year, the worrying thing for everyone else is that he also seemed to know when to rein it in as well. So he added a bit of sort of Colin Turkington thinking to his already impressive armoury. So he he's going to take some beating in any competitive car now, isn't he, in a championship fight?
1: Last year, there were a few mistakes, but as... Ash himself says is that when you say so last year it was a it was a fight with Colin Turkington for the championship. Say so the moves had to be made, and sometimes they'd go wrong, uh, or there might be there might be a few too too many track limits offences, or so he'd lose a qualifying time or something like that. But <clears throat> this year he was leading it from the front, from pretty much. The end of the second race weekend of the season at Snetterton, and, and from that point on, his performances in first races of the weekend, where you would see him not not just sitting behind people, but but more being unwilling to take a risky punt at, at getting through. So, if it if the move was there and it was absolutely hundred percent clear cut on, then he would do it. But if it wasn't. uh, then he'd just sit there uh, and wait for that opportunity if it did come. If not who cares because Colin Turkinson Tom Ingram have finished behind me anyway um, and they're not carrying quite as much weight and I'm ahead of them on the grid for race two and I'm losing the ballast for that one. So crack on and win that one which is generally uh, what he... What he's tended to do, so I think there were three wins in race twos and two reverse grid races um, at the end of the season. So it was just a case of taking your pain in race one with the ballast and then um, really maximizing it later on in the day.
2: Yeah, and he actually ended up winning by 51 points, which is near as makes a it a couple of wins, which in British modern British touring car terms is, is an enormous gap. Um, so quite a quite a lot for the others to find in 2022 so Stephen before you it's your time to shine <laughs> Stephen's going to go with his Toka top 10 but before we move on to that anything you want to pick apart with Marcus's top 10 I think he's made a pretty solid case there I, I, I like to disagree with things but I'm struggling a little bit with this one yeah
3: uh, likewise uh, I think y- he's made sound arguments for all of those drivers and just just on um sutton i think what was illustrate that point that marcus was making i remember last year at at croft he went for a move um, at the hairpin and it was a very ambitious move didn't work out ended in contact and he had damage to his car and there just wasn't those sort of moments this year and that was the the real difference and it was quite sort of stark really to to sort of see that um but yeah can't, can't fault uh can't fault Marcus's top 10 there it's a uh, really good arguments for all of those and it wasn't an, an easy one to to put together either let's
2: see if, um, let's see if we can tear yours apart instead then. <laughs> uh, which i suspect um uh, knowing you as, as as i do i think that will be challenging as well and um, but let's go into but as you say it's it's complicated comparing across series so perhaps there's a bit more scope for a debate there um so it's the the toker the toker top 10 so this is across the two janetta championships junior and gt4 super cup british uh formula four Porsche Carrera cup and the mini challenge, which obviously has replaced the the Renault Clear Cup that used to be the sort of baby tin top category on the Tokersport. So, in at ten um, is is Kian Dewis uh, third in the Porsche Carrera Cup single seater convert. Um, I don't think the Carrera Cup really went the way that we expected this year. So, um, yeah, why have you put Dewis in at ten?
3: Yeah, no, definitely the Carrera Cup was it, it was quite an incredible season this year. Just as you say all the talk beforehand was sort of uh, dominant champion from last year, Harry King going up against the returning double champion master uh, Dan Camish. And that wasn't quite the way it it played out in the end. Uh, But what was really great to see was just how competitive the Carrera Cup was at the front. Um, And that's why it's the only championship um, to get three drivers from it inside the my final top ten, because I I choosing the, the the sort of tenth driver was was quite tricky. So there's a number of different options, but I went for jewish just because the the Porsche has a reputation of being a a sort of difficult car to to get to grips with when you're a rookie, especially if you're a rookie that's coming across from single seaters, <laughs> so a complete uh, different background, and yet you wouldn't have known that jewess Necessarily was a rookie. He was right in the, the leading group pretty much all the time throughout the year, and after a, a difficult um, twenty twenty in, in in what was uh, British F three at the time now GB three, uh, this year provided a, a reset for Jewish, a completely fresh start, uh, sort of new management, new new way of approaching things, a uh, completely different car, and it paid off massively because to finish third in a championship, ahead of his teammate, Harry King. Uh, it, it was a brilliant achievement, and I, th- I think that's why he deserves a place in the top 10. He, he took four reverse grid race wins over the, the season. He didn't win one of the, the non-reverse grid races, but each of those uh, reverse grid races, he was under a lot of pressure from some very experienced drivers and did a brilliant job to, to keep them behind.
2: Yeah, it seems seems fair enough to me, but I know, Marcus, you covered some of those races as well. Are you surprised not to see Harry King in the 10?
1: No, not really. Um, I would have... simply because he finished fourth in the Championship. So (laughs) I'd I'd have been shocked if anyone had said that he would finish that low down uh, before the season started. But, yeah, I mean, we'll come on to the other Carrera Cup people later because Stephen's already mentioned that there are three drivers from that series in the top ten but um, yeah it looked to me at the beginning of the season as though Harry King and Dan Camish they they just had everything to lose didn't they Um, (laughs) and you looked at uh, Kian Kian Jewis and one or two others uh, and they had nothing to lose I I thought it was a really really interesting season to watch and uh, for me Carrera Cup has become to be quite frank, it's become a bit of a revelation over the last couple of years actually, because um a few years back I thought the racing was quite dull in that series, but it's um properly proper fireworks these days, definitely.
2: <laughs> yeah, well I, I kind of feel like Harry King made it exciting again last year with some of his outrageous moves in racing and then then this year it's been there's been several at that level. Um we've had four or five drivers in the mix at the front, which is uh, which has really made it entertaining, um, and we'll get onto a couple of those as you say later on. Um, but number nine on your list, Stephen, uh, Tom Hibbert, third in the Geneta GT4 uh, Supercup, but probably should have been second, shouldn't
3: he? Yes. Yeah, so, so Tom is the only other uh, driver besides Dewis uh, that wasn't in the top two in their championship that made it into the final top ten, um, but he only missed out on the runner-up place in the GT4 Super Cup right at the end of the year. Uh, because for much of the year, he'd been fairly evenly matched in the points with uh, the eventual champion, Adam Smalley. Um, and you, you had to say that, that Smalley had the, the pace advantage, but any time that he had a, a, had a problem or had some bad luck, Hibbert was there to to pounce and really took full advantage and he moved across uh, to the Rob Boston Racing uh, team in, in Jeanette's this for this year and they've got a, a strong track record in that series and you could really see from the start that he was going to be clearly a, a title contender this year and oh, he, he just sort of fell away, he had a tricky Donington Park meeting in the penultimate event, uh, didn't get a, a lap in in, in qualifying before uh, some yellow flags came out in a, in a disrupted session and that sort of put me on the back foot there and therefore he ultimately fell behind um, Josh Ratican in, in, the, in the final standings uh, but it, it was still a, a noticeable improvement from uh, p- previous years for Hibbert and given how, how close the points were this morning for much of the year I, I felt he deserved a, a place inside the top 10.
2: Yeah, it seems that seems uh, fair enough. Um and, and oh, we're gonna do the next two drivers on the list, I think, together. I think we have to do have to do these guys together. It's from the same championship, the mini challenge. Um so in at number eight is Max Bird, and at seven Dan Zilos, who actually won the championship at a very tense, uh and interesting brands hatch finale. Um, it's a good way to watch that one. Um so yeah, so why why did you put them in there? Well, obviously you thought that the championship result reflected uh, where where they should be.
3: Yes yeah I think over the course of the year, um Zenos was the driver that was more often than not at the at the top of the of the points and was the driver to beat um, but it as you say, it all went down to the the final race, the final laps There's a bunch of about six to eight cars all battling uh, at the front of the field and given that both Zenos and Bird were in that group uh you didn't know until the very final lap quite what was going to happen and who would be crowned champion. And um, the fact that it it did go right down to the to the wire, despite Dan having looked fairly comfortable, in fact, heading into Donington Park, he had a, a pretty sizable points lead. Uh, so the, the fact that it did go down right to, down to the wire is, is part of the reason why he's ended up being the lowest ranked of, of all the champions. But the the way that birds never gave up, pushed him all the way, and closed down that that gap, and actually took the lead heading into the final race, um, means that it, it was really difficult to separate the two of them, and I felt they had to go next to each other in in, in the top ten.
2: And what do you think of the chances of uh cause elos has just had a quite a successful um b c c c test in uh Ford Focus, and obviously he's been at this sort of mini level for a little while now. What do you think of the chances of him stepping up and and having a shot at the uh at the british touring cars
3: well you, you have to say the the mini challenge now is perhaps as you sort of suggested earlier that arguably the the sort of most obvious feeder series into the british touring car championship now and it, it this this was his third year in the category uh he's sort of you had a had the sense that really this was the time where he needed to to shine so he came, came runner up last year but but didn't win a race um whereas this year he, he won four times and really added last year he was very consistent he was still consistent this year but he added in those race victories that ultimately made the difference so you have to say he's now in a, in a good position uh, he's got the sort of experience at this sort of level to take that next step and as is always the case it's now about sort of finding the budget to be able to to do that um but w- wherever he ends up racing uh next year you can you, you know he, he's got a sort of solid uh grounding and solid foundation to to give it a good go wherever that ends up being
2: yeah well, let's ho- let's hope he does because i think we want to see people progress up the ladder and i always think of paul rivette who won you know seventeen thousand clio <laughs> races and multiple championships and by the time he got to british touring cars he was he was getting on a bit he deserved he really should have had his chance many years before i think might have had a better run at it so yeah let's hope that something uh not the same thing happens to, to dan um in at, in at number sitting out in at number six, British F four was a crazy championship to follow this year. It seemed all over the place. Um, it was almost Formula E esque in its what the hell's going on, who's good, who's not. It was all over the shop. So in the end, Matthew Reese won the championship and got your got the F four slot in your list. So I, I guess it, 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 did he put? Was it the most consistent campaign in an otherwise inconsistent season?
3: Yeah, you you, you could say so. It, it was. A very strange year and at, at times it almost felt like no one actually wanted to to win the championship because it, it was so up and down um it was reese as a, as a rookie uh, was a bit of a su- su- surprise package really coming into the season but he put it on pole at thrutston and it, it didn't help that the early f- stages of the stages of the year were affected by uh, rain where there would be a, a few sort of marginal calls to make whether to go on on slicks or, or wet weather tyres and uh, Reese was on on the sort of the wrong side of a few of those in in at Thruston. Um but he backed that up and again was on on pole at Snetterton and and scored uh, I think it was a double win win there and it it shows he. Uh, despite his sort of lack of experience, he was clearly going to be a contender. But the er, the early pace setter was James Headley. He he won two of the three races at, at Thruston, and he sort of looked in control. You'd expected him as a second year driver to be one of the, the leading contenders, but he had a really tricky Knockhill weekend, where he had a few sort of car troubles and just scored a single point. And and then he s- later switched to the to the Carlin team from Fortec, and that move didn't really pay off he slumped towards the back of the grid and was never really a contender Um, and Reese also had a a sort of mid-season slump where he felt speaking to him he felt one of the reasons for that was perhaps because he had such an impressive start to the year uh, suddenly he was this title contender and that sort of lost moved the focus away from what he should have been doing, which is just concentrating on learning, improving, getting those good results. Um But then he, he turned that all around uh, at the penultimate event at Donington and took a really impressive double win there. And that sort of set him up uh, to end up taking this, the championship surprisingly easily because um, Matthias Zagazeta, who was his main rival, he didn't have the best of starts, but grew stronger as the year went on. Uh But then he, he, threw it all away in the, in the opening race at Brands Hatch, spun off on his own, and that therefore meant all, all he needed to do was just take a, a, a couple of fifth places, and he was, and he was crowned the champion. But it was, it was, as you say, it was such an unusual season to, to follow, and it's not very often that a car racing rookie uh, wins uh, in the, um since the, the championship it became an FIA F4 series in, in 2015. There's only been one other driver that, that's done so. Uh, so it was a really impressive achievement. And that's why, because he was a rookie, that's why he goes above uh, Zelos in the, in the final rankings, in, in my view.
2: And Marcus, I know you can't but help keep an eye on junior single-seater racing. So what observations did you make from, uh, from British F4 uh, this year?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I think Stephen's right. Um I think Matthew Reese was Matthew Reese is actually by a considerable distance in my eyes, the, the most impressive of a very inconsistent bunch um this year. Um and straight out of the box he was topping qualifying sessions which was really impressive. It did seem a very random championship. Probably not I think you're being a little bit fair, not not quite as random as Formula E. <laughs> 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 but um, but yeah, uh, I think I think this was this was the year where, bearing in mind, bearing in mind how the second year drivers did, or th- this was the year where it was going to be possible for a, a good rookie to do what Matthew Reese did, <clears throat> and um, I think he might have struggled to win the championship, bearing in mind his inconsistency, which wasn't anywhere near as bad as the inconsistency <laughs> of others um, in in other years. Um, I'll be interested to see what he goes on to do, though. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that probably the most logical thing is to step up to GB3.
2: Probably worth saying as well, of course, it's the end of an era for British F4, new car, new well, new everything next year. and um, We won't <laughs> go into that here because uh, we've already done that. Stephen has already had that ticked off with a, a fine podcast with Karoon Chandhok, which was podcast number 521, on the allsort.com podcast page, if you want to go back and have a look at that and hear why it's all changing. Um, just give a Quick plug to something you've done already, Stephen, there. Um, so we'll, we'll move swiftly on to, to number five uh, in your list, which was the runner up in Janetta Jr., Liam McNeely. Now, we don't normally have Janetta Jr. drivers quite so high up in the list. So, yeah, t- talk us through Liam's season.
3: Going into the season, I'll be completely honest, I never expected uh, Liam to sort of really figure in, in the sort of title battle or potentially in this in this top ten because he last year was his, his rookie season and while he was far from, from terrible, he never really scored any sort of breakthrough results or any showed anything that thought that made you think he's gonna go on to be one of the, the sort of stars of the championship. Uh but that is exactly what happened this year. Th- Thrust in the opening round Didn't have the have the best of qualifying and got stuck in the pack, and I didn't sort of show his true potential. But from Snetterton onwards, he was ultra consistent, always in the top ten, finished every race, um, and he was a a transformed driver. And clearly, uh, Snetterton is a circuit that he likes, so that's perhaps played a, a part in his strong qualifying performance from there and once he got that first win that just gave him the confidence that he can fight at the at the front of the, the pack he can do this and he, he was just so consistent over the over the rest of the year from them from that point on but ultimately that sort of disappointing Thruxton event cost him in in the championship um at battle meant to, he was too far back to really challenge uh but it was still a really, really impressive season. And I think um, he ended on, on a high in the in the final race at Brands Hatch in a weekend where the mm-hmm. <laughs> Ginetta Junior didn't get much racing at all for various instants and uh, delays and what have you. Uh, but he, he managed to build, I think it was about eight second lead at one point in the final race, which is very impressive. In Janetta Junior terms, and I think he's he's already announced he's he's going to be back in the in the championship next year because of his age. He doesn't turn sixteen until uh, the end of April, uh, so is he would miss the start of a campaign if he if he looked to move up into a senior category and the, the preparation wouldn't necessarily be the best. So he's opted to, to stay with the family Fox Motorsport team for another year, and he's got to be the overwhelming favourite to, to win the championship next year.
2: Yeah, you would have thought so wouldn't you? Nailed on there. Makes your <laughs> that's your season preview sorted then for that one. Um, <laughs> uh, and no, number four on your list is another Janetta driver, this time the, the Super Cup champion Adam Small. You've obviously touched upon it but in the end I suppose he, he, he was actually one of the more comfortable championship winners in terms of the points. Uh, but perhaps should it have been a bit more comfortable than it was?
3: Yeah, so he, he had the highest win percentage of all of the, the five champions in the in the BCC support series, and he he had the he was clearly the the sort of quickest driver overall on the GT4 Super Cup grid, and ultimately it, it was two races that that meant um, that Hibbert was able to get so close to him and keep uh, that type of battle going. At, Alive for, for as long as he did, and that the first of those was at the opening round at Snetterton, uh, they, The G- GT4 Supercup didn't do Thratston, so their first round was at Snetterton, And he, um, there was a slight bit of contact with Hibbert in the third race there, which put Smalley out, and and that sort of DNF meant he was instantly behind Hibbert in the in the points right from the first round. So he had to claw back on that and then the the second weekend uh, the, the other weekend that really didn't go his way was at Alton Park so it looked like he'd he'd won the the opening race uh in, a, in another sort of good performance um despite battling a a, <laughs> a door that wouldn't stay shut uh during the race he had to keep, keep hold of that and keep an eye on that situation uh but he overstepped on track limits and he was ruled to have gone off the track, and therefore he was given a. I, th- I think it was actually two track limits penalties in that race, and that dropped him right down to um, the, the back of the, the pro class field. And also meant for the second race, he was starting in the pack. And Olton Park isn't the easiest place to to overtake in a in a G fifty five. And I think he, he progressed up to sixth. But that, as as Hibbert took full advantage of. Of Smalley's problems, so that meant ultimately he had a lot of work to do to claw back uh, the points gap. And because Hibbert and Smalley, alongside Ratkin were the were the clear top three in the championship, even if they had a bad race, they would still be in the sort of fourth or fifth. So it was really difficult for uh, for Adam to then claw back the points. But he did that brilliantly. He was about 36 points behind Hibbert at one point, but he, he turned that around into a comfortable uh, advantage by the end of the year, and that just sort of, sort of shows how how good he was. And ultimately, it, if there had been more sort of top drivers in that field, uh, I think you could make a stronger argument for him being potentially higher up in the in the final top ten.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and the quality of the field is, I guess, one of the things that puts your next two drivers. We're going to do them together right up. Um we also, <laughs> you know, we said the Porsche Carrera Cup of the of the package tends to have. I would say, the, you know, the best top drivers or among the best. Um, so we'll, we'll do them together. We've got uh, Lorcan Hannafin, uh, who was second in the championship, third in your ratings, and Dan Kamish, who won the championship, his third title, and second in your ratings. So given what we said about uh, Kamish and King, why have you still put Kamish ahead of ahead of Hannafin, uh, given that he, I guess, overperformed from our expectations?
3: Well, this was a a really difficult one to to decide and it was one of the hardest things about putting this this top ten together because um they both had strong seasons in for different reasons. And ultimately I I followed Marcus's approach and, and the points table doesn't <laughs> does have to be taken into account. And I think that tells the the sort of story of the season in, in a way because Hamish obviously came in with the expectation that he would be fighting for the title with with King um but in reality he he wasn't always the the quickest driver out there he did battle some car problems at, at, at various points of the year but it was it was his consistency that won him the title we see 12 podiums out of 16 races which is pretty Impressive going, particularly when you consider there's reversed grids, and there's it's such a strong field at the front of um of the Carrera Cup. And even when he admitted himself he was was driving rubbish or wasn't driving at his best of his ability, he was still in the sort of top three, top four, and getting those results. And that was the key to him taking the title, which was very different to how he's he's previously won titles in in the Carrera Cup when he's just dominated from the the first round and never looked back and never looked realistically like he was going to be caught. Um, so that's, that's part of the reason why he's a, he, I decided to put him ahead of Hannafin in, in the, in the top 10, but I do feel sorry for, for Hannafin for that, because he had a very, very strong season to, to, Go in and be taking the fight to to King and Camish and and Jewis and Will Martin was another strong driver in in the championship as well, and that was a really impressive uh, feat from Hannafin to to come in and qualify on pole for the first round at Snetterton by it was almost four tenths of a second was a real statement of intent from him, and all along he was sort of trying to show that there there was much more to this battle than just. King and, Kamish, and he shouldn't be discounted and he proved that instantly at the first round uh, but the first round also sort of set the, the tone for his season whereby it didn't quite all go to plan all the time uh, so he, he obviously put it on pole won uh, the first race impressively uh, and it looked like he'd taken his maiden maiden win in the career cup but he was stripped of of that win. Uh, he was given a penalty because he was out of position at the start. And it was just a few tiny little errors like that that ultimately cost him in the battle with Kamish. Um, another, another notable one was in race two at Croft where he uh, he struck a, a tyre stack at, at, the, at the opening part of the circuit and that put him out of the race and it was just... I mean, uh, the, the subject of of tire stacks and whether the, it should have been there is a, probably another topic for a, another podcast. But uh, it was little moments like that that ultimately cost him dear because you, he was certainly the fastest driver overall um, this year, and the improvement he made from last year was was very very impressive. He 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 showed flashes of speed last year, but what he really worked on in the off season was was the sort of consistency consistency and making sure he could st- keep that focus throughout the race and really deliver the, the pace into strong results and he did that um, and it was just a shame that he ultimately missed out by a few points to, to Tamish but it was a great season to watch and he should still be really really proud of, of what he was able to do this year because it was a, a very good performance.
2: So, so come on, Marcus. Is this where you can can you grill Stephen? Would you give uh, Would you give Hannafin? Would you swap them around on the basis of Hannafin's lack of experience compared to Camish, even though he lost out and made those mistakes? Or are you you were going to agree with
1: uh, with Stephen on that order? I'm I'm not one to take experience into account because we're judging the season that's been performed. If you see what I mean, um, so uh, and it's up to Lorcan Hannafin and Kian Dewis or whoever to beat Dan Camish however experienced he is absolute credit to you for coming back to your old stamping ground and being fiercely determined and I think Stephen made the point that, um, that there did seem to be a little bit of a lack of straight line speed on that car as well um, over the course of the season and winning the championship against some really really fierce competition I mean we, we we mustn't forget quite how highly everyone rated Harry King last year
2: and as as Stephen said earlier I think the uh, oh, it's just a bit of a sporting cliche isn't it but you sort of often win championships on your bad days if your bad days are a third or a fourth that can make the difference when your rival's bad days are sitting in the gravel or or something like that so um, yeah that's fair, fair play to Dan Cameron but I think that the person that's beaten him on the list Uh, didn't have any bad days, which is presumably why he's number one. As far as I can see, uh, Aston Miller, apart from having a fantastic name uh, and winning the Ginetta Junior Championship, just in a championship that is quite known for drama, uh, it was almost unprecedented that he'd be up at the front and not making mistakes and consistent. So I guess that's why you've gone controversially for a Ginetta Junior driver at number one in this list. Yes,
3: so we don't normally put a Ginetta Junior driver at up at the top because it is sort of so unpredictable and you can't always read too much into it. But it was just impossible to, to fault Miller's performance this year. Uh, the fact that, he, aside from the very final race of the season when the championship had, had been wrapped up and he sort of uh, sort of went out more for, for fun than anything else, um, that he finished every single race inside the top six. And that... The fact that he finished every single race full stop is impressive enough given what Gennetta Junior can be like but to have finished every single race in the top six apart from that final one is just a really, really impressive achievement and it's not very often that things like that happen and I think he he deserves the the recognition for that. Um, There's one particular race that stands out for me and it also shows how good Liam McNeely was, uh, was the uh, the final race at Donington Park, where the two of them were, had a brilliant battle for the lead um, out at the front. And despite the fact they were they were they were fighting um, really quite hard for that win, they were miles ahead of the the rest of the pack. And again, you just don't see that very often in Janette Junior. And his the way he approached this season was just. Incredible, um what makes it even more sort of impressive is the fact that he, last year he wasn't very consistent uh, his r racing team admitted that was his his weak spot. He'd perhaps qualify really well for the first race, but then would would drop back and wouldn't be able to s- stay consistently at the front whereas this year, even if he did have moments within a race where he dropped back, he was still able to to fight back and get into that top six or or at the front and I, I think taking his first wins of the year at Knock Hill were a big turning point because at the start of the year, those top sixes were literally just into the top six. They were fifths and sixths. Uh, but from Knock Hill onwards, he was right at the front, getting the joint most wins in the series and um, a lot of podiums as well. And it was just very, very impressive to see someone of that age be so consistent across a, a full, full season.
2: And do we know what he's doing next year, so that we can keep an eye on him, see where he's going to be in this list next season?
3: No, we, we don't yet know what, uh, where he'll be. He'll be heading. He was one of the drivers in the uh, in the sort of part of the shootout for the McLaren uh, driver development program uh, for one of their sort of space British GTS. We'll have to see how that, how that goes. But you, you can be sure wherever he ends up, he'll be one to watch because uh, if he can continue that sort of form. As he steps up into senior racing, then he's got a very bright future ahead of him.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's uh, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on allsportmagazine allsport dot com. I'm sure Stephen will be on the case when uh, when uh, Aston signs his new deal. Um, but before we finish up, the question to, to, to both of you here: anyone that you think could should. Uh, have been in that top ten, or, or that uh, is unfortunate to miss out. Obviously, we just talked about. We've already talked about King and Zagazeta. Any anyone any Other names you want to throw in, worthy of mention?
3: I think the the other one that I've sort of really considered. Well, there's two actually. Two that I considered putting in. One was Josh Ratican because he did finish runner up in the GT4 Supercup in his first season in senior car racing, and he did really come on strong uh, in the second half of the year. So he he definitely deserves a mention and um and only just missed out on uh, on a place in the top ten. And the other one that had a <laughs> had an eventful season that I and I considered putting in the top ten despite him only finishing sixth in the final standings, uh was Talon Voicin in, in uh Janetta Junior, uh, because he was he was the early season pace setter. He, he won seven races across the, the season. Uh, but very early on at, at Snetterton uh, there was a, a technical infringement found on his car, and he was given a, a seventy point deduction and that 's a, a, a hefty penalty to pay and ultimately meant he was realistically out of uh, out of title contention at that point, despite being a rookie uh, that was the key point he, he was a rookie driver in his first season in cars um, but the the way he he sort of handled that situation, and 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 the the, the way he entered the season, uh, started the season was just very very impressive. So he he's worth a, a mention as well. And he's he's stepping up to to GB3 for next year, which is a, quite a big jump up the ladder. But that's ironically only really sort of come about because of the the, the points deduction that he had. Uh, this year which meant he started looking at options perhaps whether or not he would finish the Genetta junior season or not and led to some single seater tests and opened up that whole avenue to him which he hadn't previously considered because his his brother bailey had a very strong season finishing as the european gt4 uh, champion alongside charlie fagg uh, so that would have been perhaps the obvious route for the voicing to follow his brother but um He's ended up going down the single seater, so it'd be interesting to see how he how he copes with that.
2: Yeah, it's funny how these things uh, careers can turn on on <laughs> on funny things like that. Marcus, anyone that you'd like to throw in, or do you reckon we've are you you stamp of approval on Stephen's list?
1: Fair, uh, very fair. Top ten. I can't I can't disagree with it at all. Um, I'd just like to say, um, Aston Miller, how do you how do you finish that many races in the top six? When you've got as near as damn it thirty, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen-year-olds, all—I <laughs> mean, it's just extraordinary. It's—it's um, it's not just—it's not just a case of racecraft in making your way up the order, but um, but putting yourself in situations where you're not vulnerable to being hit by somebody else. Um, and I—I'd I'd say that's quite extraordinary. So. But it was a really good season in Geneta Jr. and and also, you know, <clears throat> obviously Aston Miller and Callum Boyce, and who you've talked about were with R racing and uh and it seems that R Racing and Elite Motorsport seem to run about <laughs> fourteen cars each or something. And uh so that uh, in light of that it made Liam McNeely's efforts very impressive because uh, at Fox Motorsport, isn't there only one teammate? there Stephen? Yes yeah, Yes, yeah. that's right. So yeah. I, I thought well that's that's been a really really good effort and yeah I, I enjoyed watching the, I enjoyed watching Geneta Juniors as much as British F4 this year
2: <laughs> Well there you go on that note I think we'll, uh, we'll say <laughs> thank you very much to Marcus Simmons thank you very much Stephen Licorice and thank you very much to the listeners uh, for tuning in to hear those insights thanks very much for joining us, we'll be back soon with another Autosport Podcast The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally
3: connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
3: Lucky Land Casino,
0: asking people, what's the weirdest place
1: you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.